Welcome to Westchester Words, Education, EdTech, and Publishing. I'm Nicole Tomasi, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Mila Fer Ali, Resources Manager and DEI Committee Lead here at Westchester Education Services, is joining me today to provide an overview about culturally responsive education and why it's an important consideration for your existing and future content development projects. Nilafer, welcome to Westchester Words. Can you tell our listeners what culturally responsive education is and its origins? Hi, Nicole. Um, thanks for having me on to talk about this important topic. Um, so in order to understand what culturally responsive and sustaining education is, let's look at some of the history behind this work. So whenever you have an approach to education, sort of a formal approach to education, it is, it's grounded in a theory. And so um, I want to talk, just mention briefly some of the theorists who contributed to what we're seeing today. Um, and theory is uh, making observations, basically, and trying to explain what you see. Uh, and the theory that is at the foundation of this is called critical pedagogy. Uh, one of the first uh, founding uh, architects and theorists was Paolo Freire, who wrote uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed in 1963. Um, we have also, alongside that, um, was the development of critical race theory um, by Derek Bell and other lawyers in the 1970s. Um, some uh, additional leaders in critical pedagogy uh, were Henry uh, Giroux and Peter McLaren uh, from the 1980s and onward. And these ideas were uh, picked up and used in uh, by Gloria Ladson Billings, who, if you look up critical, I'm sorry, culturally uh, responsive education, you're going to find her name. So she did um, some research and a study of successful teachers of African-American students and wrote about what she called culturally relevant pedagogy in 1995. And she outlined uh, three uh, criteria for this culturally relevant pedagogy, which were academic success, so that students would experience, um, would experience academic success and academic excellence, the second is to help students develop uh, positive ethnic and cultural identities while um, helping them achieve academically. And third um, is to support students' ability to uh, recognize uh, current and social inequalities, to understand those inequalities and to critique them. Um, and then, um, so, uh, after that, when those three criteria live on today, uh, Geneva Gay in 2000 um, wrote about what she called culturally responsive teaching, in which she took the work that Gloria Ledson Billings and others had done before her, and she put together a framework for the actual practice of teaching. In 2017, uh, Django Paris and Sammy H. Aleem um, pushed the envelope further um, and wrote about uh, culturally sustaining pedagogy, which doesn't just draw on student culture, 
but it sustains it. It, it uh, helps students really lean into who they are and their home and heritage cultures, as well as their own evolving culture. So super powerful, uh, super powerful stuff there. So people have been talking about this for a long time and thinking about this for a long time. Uh, long before this, Dr. Carter G. Woodson wrote in 1933, The Miseducation of the Negro, in which he discussed how African-Americans uh, students were basically being indoctrinated into a white supremacist culture and primed to accept and expect an inferior uh, position in American society, inferior to whites, essentially. So all of this to say that this isn't something new at all, although it's trendy right now. The behind the scenes push is uh, ongoing and evolving. Um, so why is it trendy right now? Well, inequity and violence and oppression, subtle and overt, uh, happens all the time. Sometimes it gets caught on camera and goes viral, as we say now. So then the spotlight uh, lands for a few minutes on uh, how these iniquities and oppressions are perpetrated in our education system. Um, and it highlights, the spotlight highlights the work that still needs to be done. So every time this happens, more people increase their awareness of what it's like for uh, marginalized uh, and oppressed people in society um, to, to live here. Um, they increase their awareness of what it's like to be uh, disabled uh, from the LGBTQ community, um, to not be Christian, to be black, brown, or indigenous. Um, so it's good that awareness is increased. Sometimes there's incremental change that happens uh, at that point. And sometimes the trend passes and change is minimal or non-existent with regard to real impact. So what we're saying at Westchester um, is that we're seeing this. Uh, we know this is a change that needs to happen. And it's not a trend for us. What we're doing is we're putting uh, infrastructure and policies and practices in place across our organization to continue to push for uh, equity in education and our society as part of how we operate as an organization. And I'm, I'm saying that right now, even though that's not the topic of your question, because I'm really proud of the work that we're doing. That's excellent. And I'm glad you added, excuse me, I'm glad you added that point in, Nilafer. So now that our listeners have a better understanding of the foundations of what they're seeing today and what you know, now that they understand that this is a deep-rooted movement um, for materials to be culturally responsive and, and culturally and taught in a culturally responsive way, what can you explain for our listeners about the different levels of uh, the reviews of culturally responsive material that companies can work with Westchester on? Mm, that's a good question. Um, so, where do people come in at? Right. Um, uh, I just want to give kudos to our clients, first of all, because um, the ones that approach us are um, are are among those that are really stepping up to the plate and working towards some very solid and positive change. What we find is that clients who approach us is um, they all know that something is wrong or potentially wrong 
with their material. So we have three categories of, of people that I think of. Um, some of them, the first category, they have a pretty good idea of the extent to which their material is problematic and um, sometimes even recognize that it's harmful. Most often, that's a realization that has come to them over time, um, even as they've tried to create material in the past with better representation. So, so, so what happened, right? Historically, this industry has been dominated by like white people, white middle-class women with a few men, um, more men in leadership. Um, so often as good and sincere of heart as these folks really are, in my experience, um, some of them still have pretty significant blind spots, which is changing um, and changing rapidly at this point as I described before. So this first category of people are people who have a pretty good idea of what's at stake and what's wrong. And what we tell them in our reviews pretty much confirms what they already know or suspect. So then you have the second category of people, um, which are folks who have partially formed ideas about the extent of the issue. So maybe their blind spots are a little bit bigger um, and, and how to remedy you know, uh, the issues. So uh, meaning they don't know the full extent to which their material is problematic. Okay. We know that people are at different levels of understanding. And what part of what we do is help our clients um, really begin to understand the depth of the problems and, and the impact on students. So the second category of client um, might come in expecting that we're going to tell them uh, <laughs> like what sentences need to be fixed in order for the material to be all better. So like tell us all the incidences where there are problems and we'll fix them. It'll be better. So we do tell them that, but we take it further and try to uh, teach them about some of the problematic foundational paradigms that underlie those, in those incidences and form the very structure of the program. Because that's really where we impact changes when we get to the foundation of the material. Uh, so finally, there are folks who come in, um, and the third category uh, are people who are asking us um, basically to um, uh, give them a sense, a count of representation, who is represented in their material. So how many Black people are present, how many white people are present, and so forth. So that's nice and a fine starting point. Um, and we do that or we can do that, uh, but we always inform those clients that um, that kind of work isn't culturally responsive education. And um, it's not really impactful to students in any positive way. In fact, uh, it can be harmful if it's used as a way to create sort of a facade of equality while not really changing the messaging that students are getting. So in short, um, these are the three general categories of, of um, you know, requests that we get. Um, and we're always very upfront with people um, about whatever they come in with, about educating them about what really needs to happen in order for there to be equity in education. Okay, excellent. So now that we have a more thorough understanding about what is involved in a culturally responsive education review, 
why should a publisher or an ed tech provider engage with Westchester to do a review of their existing content or better yet to develop new materials that properly embody the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, thank you. Um, so I'm going to talk about our reviewers in just a minute, but I do want to say that what we are doing at Westchester is uh, we're doing what I just talked about, which is we, we're looking at our foundational practices and paradigms as an organization. Um, and we're setting up infrastructure and policy and practice within our organization to back up the work that we're doing in culturally responsive education. So that's one. The other thing is specifically with um, our CRE work, um, we, we set up an infrastructure, we set up a process. We um, took from the uh, work of those scholars that I talked about early on and theorists and practitioners early on, as well as how their work has been interpreted and put into different frameworks. And we put together a process and a rubric, um, uh, which is highly collaborative. Uh, and so that's that's really at the base of, of what we're doing. Um, right alongside that is um, we have these amazing um, professionals who are working with us as freelancers uh, and uh, to review and create content. These folks are just incredibly intelligent and insightful. Um, and uh, they have these... Uh, clear, critical lenses uh, towards equity, meaning they are super smart <laughs> and can spot iniquities, uh, both the overt ones and the subtle ones. And then in our review processes, uh, articulate those in a way that helps our client understand what to change, why to change, why it needs to be changed, like what's the impact and how to change it. So in the content development realm, this looks like um, uh, inclusion of our, our content developers know that they can bring their authentic full selves. And then also they know that they need that multiple perspectives and sources of knowledge, knowledge and manners of expression and manners of learning um, need to be incorporated and included in this content. So our reviewers and our content creators also are come from many different backgrounds, including, um, but not limited to, um, different um, races, ethnicities, uh, genders, uh, sexual orientation, uh, socioeconomic background, religion, and so forth. Uh, so what does that mean? Like, why is that important? And it's important, it's important because they have, um, when you come from uh, for example, a background that's different than mine or yours, um, you have access to a perspective, a way of being in the world, different experiences, access to um, cultural ways of knowing the world. Um, and, and the ones that we're uplifting now uh, through our reviewers and our content developers uh, are ones that have... Uh, are different from what's widely existent in the education sphere, like forever. So the most important piece that these folks bring is their perspective, 
their experience and their opinions. Um, I wanna uplift this because in the industry, we focus a lot on what I'm gonna call technical skill. And we lose sight of the fact that anyone who's involved with content creation brings a lens and background experience and their own knowledge and their own view of the world and culture to the table. And that's brought into the material they create. You cannot separate a person from who they are and their experiences. So we've all lost out in the past because there have been a lot of voices that have been excluded or marginalized um, from the education ecosystem for way too long. A big piece of our job at Westchester is to provide the infrastructure and the space for these voices to be uplifted. So of course, let me put this out there. Um, the folks that we contract with, that we work with as reviewers and content developers are incredibly talented educators, writers, content creators. Uh, they write professionally, they edit professionally, they've trained formally in these areas, they've taught in classrooms, they've created curricula that's culturally responsive or culturally sustaining. Um, and some have even like battled or fought their school districts in order to be able to teach this way. So I just want to say that I have the utmost of admiration and respect for these uh, frankly brilliant professionals. Neelifer, thank you so much for taking the time today to give us a comprehensive introduction to what culturally responsive education is, and also why it's such an essential component for content that is historically accurate and also allows students to see themselves and gain an understanding for the experiences of their fellow students who are from other cultures. For our listeners, if you're interested in learning more about culturally responsive education and how Westchester can improve your existing content or help you to develop new material that incorporates all these important principles, please visit our website at westchestereducationservices.com and click the culturally responsive education menu on our homepage where you can find more information not only about the reviews but um, various resources about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So with that, I would like to thank you all for listening to today's episode of Westchester Words and invite you to join us next time. To share your words with us about today's episode, please email us at westchesterwords at westchesteredservices, that's E-D-S-V-C-S dot com. Thank you again.